0: It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests, and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. My guest this week is Eric Werbelowski of Ventura Organic Garden Design. Eric is a permaculturist, edible landscape designer, and an award-winning compost master, also known as Dr. Compost. He spends his time engaging and empowering clients with their food, shelter, energy, and transportation systems to increase their quality of life and decrease negative social and environmental impacts. Welcome to the podcast, Eric.
1: Thanks, Christy. Uh, Glad to be here. Uh, Amazing body of work. I was mentioning all your channels. Uh, It's just so impressive, your stamina, your commitment, your sharing of garden stuff. My uh, tip of a hat to you. Thank you. Aw,
0: thank you. Well, we met, if I recall correctly, we met during lightning in a bottle one year Uh, years ago, which is the kinder, gentler version of Burning Man, I think, um, (laughs) where (laughs) you were giving a composting talk, and I was doing a lecture on small space gardening, and I was curious because I haven't never really heard your story. How did you and when did you become passionate about composting?
1: Uh, Interesting. Passionate about composting. Well, you know, I I was raised in a family of gardeners, and it was always in the background figuratively and literally you know so at my grandfather's place in the back where the where all the old stuff was and it all seemed to be a tumble <laughs> that I think was the compost area when I was growing up in the mid-Hudson Valley in New York State we had an area where we clear off the garden every uh, season and when we'd go fishing we'd go dig in the quote-unquote worm pile We never called it compost. It wasn't until the early eighties, I was taking a course at UCSB and it was on food and ecosystems. And it said for every unit of food comes at a cost of topsoil. And if we wanna reverse that, we need to cycle back our organics. And so I saw it in a academic way and now a practical challenge and that's when I became more of a religious composter, where I decided any food that passed through my uh, a system, I was going to do my best to cycle it back into, in, into the earth. And that just kept going, and eventually I was hired to run a recycling program for the city of Ventura in 1990, and around that same time, we rolled out a compost education program. So... I was, I was getting paid for something I would have done for free, it's okay to say now, uh, and, and, and that's when my, my self-described role as a compost evangelist and some of the marketing uh, that we did with Thousand and Oaks called me Dr. Compost. It's a little embarrassing, but if it helps to put uh, uh, people in the audience, well, call me Dr.
0: I think that works. I think you yeah. are because you are knowledgeable about composting, and and you've brought up a question I'm going to have to ask later and remind me if I forget about humanure because you said passing through your system, and I know that's more than just gardening. Oh. So we'll get to that in a minute. But before that, right. tell me, tell me, what does your garden look like now, and where do you live, and what's it, you know what's the size? Share that with our listeners so they get a sense of where you are.
1: Sure, I, I live on the west side of Ventura, on the back. Of a steep hill called uh, Grant, Grant Park. And I have a, a kind of an odd aspect. It's, it's largely west facing. Sometimes uh, I don't get the sun up over the hill till mid morning. Um, so that's always kind of a sun challenge. But I have a lot of space. I have about three or four main garden zones. I have a front orchard with chickens, I have a side garden with a lot of uh, annuals and vines along the fence. I have an immediate garden area all around my house Mm -hmm. on a little deck. I have little boxes and uh, what I call uh, grow batteries. Ironically, with all the space I have, sometimes that's where I go to garden most in about the same space as you would have on an apartment balcony garden Uh and then climbing up a few levels i have a large garden that that merges right into a wild hillside so (laughs) i i sometimes make lists that are hugely overwhelming and so i i try to center myself for a work project and, and, and invariably i do about five six seven things at a time and uh, usually something I never even planned on. So that's my <laughs> garden routine.
0: Well, it sounds like you're running the gambit on all the different uh, types yeah. of gardening you can have. So that's that's very yeah. good. I'm going to jump right into composting now. You once sure. said, if you can eat it, you can compost it. And I quote you all the time, especially when I see advice... Or, you know, a poster or something that says, don't put bread in the compost bin. And I feel like that is so ridiculous. Do you have any idea where that misconception or others like it come from?
1: Sure, sure. And and uh, it's understandable. Let's say you're talking to garden experts and they know anything that ever lived can, can be composted. That's just uh, the, the way nature works. Right. But if you're, if you're running... Now, a diversion program for a large city, and you're talking to a lot of people that are brand new at it, you're inevitably going to get the dump and run composter. somebody who's been saving stuff up in the kitchen, and they go on out to the area, generally understood to be compost, and they do one thing, they tip it in, and they walk it away. Right. And if you have things like bread, cheese, meat, uh, any of these uh, highly attractive, High protein materials. Well, you know what it's going to attract all the all the things that health people are concerned about. Right. Uh, uh, rodents, flies, uh, teenagers. <laughs> all these things are attracted <laughs> to the compost pile, and and you want to, And so, unfortunately, it's dumbed down to the lowest common denominator. Put this in, and don't put that in. But my mission from the start has always been to demystify composting, right? It's not a a, a science project, it's not a chemical formula, it's not some stoichiometric kind of ratio of 30 to one and get your calculator out. It's greens and browns and keep it wet. And the more things that are put in a compost, the richer and more effective it's gonna be. Now I have some hard hard rules. I have about a dozen neighbors on my street, and they, they like to bring me their stuff.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I tell them, no thorny stuff, because that hurts when I'm handling it. Uh, no uh, hard sticks, things bigger than a thumb mm-hmm. uh, uh, of width. And uh, I, I don't like vines. You yeah. know, we get morning glory and those ivies and, the, and, you know, all the things that are super viney, and when they dry, they're basically like rope,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you can't handle and pretty much that's it. And if it's if it's a, if it's a fish carcass or it's something uh, meat or smelly, uh, I'll I'll dig a hole and and soil incorporate. I, I usually don't deal with that above ground because of all the digging critters. But uh, I, I my fam- my my favorite part of my compost. I have um, kind of a, a thrown together what do you call it uh, the pallet style mm-hmm. where I, I've made. Three large bins, about a cubic yard each, with strapped together, rope together pallets. And uh, next to that is my will not pile, and and those are all the things that quote unquote will not compost. <laughs> so it's you know it's the cuttings from the privet, right? It's the waxy leaves. It's the things that people brought me that they shouldn't have brought me anyway. But still, I put it in the will not. And the will not. A pretty, a pretty big pile. It's about eight feet wide. It can be four feet deep, and inevitably, the best compost. Where's the best compost? Do you think?
0: Probably from the will not pile.
1: <laughs> uh, the bottom of the will not <laughs> yeah, pile. Yeah, of course. It's been been there a long time. It's aged. It's diverse. It's fungal. It's fungal rich because it has all the wood, and so it, it kind of opened my eyes when when I teach compost uh, workshops. People like so if i start composting today i'll have compost next week i'm like uh, you bet yeah. it's just like invest it's just like investing <laughs> by stocking you'll be rich next month right and, and and that kind of you know and and I'm, I'm not gonna i'm gonna just throw this out there i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hold it to my garden tip but i say the missing ingredient in so much is patience
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: i i joined a. Uh, a new we- uh, Facebook group called Pandemic Resilience Gardening. And, oh, my God, I thought it would be like, hey, this is how we're going to plan for our calories and live together into the future. And, and inevitably, most of the posts are like, what's this bug? Why are earwigs eating all my starch? <laughs> it's like, no, this is, this is more like gardening basics and, and, and bug identification.
2: Mm-hmm. And the
1: thing is, inevitably, these people – are dealing with uh, new gardens, the first season of a cleared space, and they don't have experience or understanding that it is a long term process of cultivation. And, you know, not to get too deep, but I'll go there, uh, it's internal as well. I used to be much more of the vigilant warrior hunter uh, to talk about ownership on everything that the birds were eating my things, the bugs were eating my things. Little, I, I just didn't realize that I was the visitor. I was the coop coming yeah. into the natural world, and I didn't have humility. I didn't have understanding. I didn't take the time to, uh, to, to follow what the ebbs and flows. And once I started to do that, and, and I'm still a beginning gardener. i got to say, you know, my favorite quote from Thomas Jefferson in gardening is when he was in his 80s, he wrote in his journal from Monticello, I'm an old man, but a young gardener. Mm -hmm. And I'm continually being humbled and realizing how much I have no idea and how much I'm just still experimenting. And that's the other thing I I see in, in successful gardeners. It's the willingness to have all of their assumptions thrown back at their face and say, like, maybe there's another approach maybe i don't need to pull everything that isn't a target planting maybe if i understand that anything that's green is creating photosynthesis and that set up to 70 percent of that energy and food is feeding the microorganisms in the soil maybe that thing is gardening better than anything that i could have put in there and yeah. that kind of like smack in the head kind of like wait a minute you're just being a gentle disruptor, I'm not the nurturer, cultivator, I like to think of myself. And if I have a really successful and resilient garden, it will tolerate my nonsense. It will tolerate, <laughs> yeah. it will tolerate what I think is good nutrition. You know, I, I, I follow a, a fellow, I think it's Pascal Bad- Badar, mm-hmm. he talks about harvesting and using invasive uh, plants that are everywhere and he talks about creating an invasive or cu- cuisine Ooh. to say that uh, that nature is so prolific and abundant and it's offering us huge plates of sustenance and nutrition and we're pushing past that to get to the corn dog we think we want at a drive through <laughs>
0: those are that's a really good point it's true and and i feel like we and i've said this a lot on my website and my podcast and everything is that you know i feel like we as a species have this illness that we think we're separate from nature but we're really part of it and the sooner we figure that out the sooner we can heal the planet and ourselves
1: yeah well when you say you know who who are you talking about our there missy you know like uh (laughs) We're, we're a relatively new culture, dominant Western culture as it is, right. and the crime of our time is pushing past and ignoring all the indigenous wisdom. It's there in pockets, and we celebrate it marginally, uh-huh. but people who have lived on this very same land for tens of thousands of years without materially or, or significantly affecting its diversity – and its carrying capacity. That's something to learn from. I mean, we're just a little ways into our agricultural revolution and we're a scared for the loss of global topsoil. So right. let's do the math. Maybe we need to re- refigure this. It's kind of like my personal journey about being humbled with the biological realities, you know, throwing my feces at me like feces. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, but that's, But that's that's where I'm at now, right? I used to be much more mechanistic. I will dominate. You know, if the garden isn't doing what I want, I'll find a spray or a treatment or a machine that will get it. Not backing off and understanding, am I even in the right season? Is this the right climate? Is the soil prepared for it? Do I have enough diverse companion plants? So it's so much deeper than... I even thought I was getting into. Mm-hmm. In fact, if I knew that there was gonna be so much personal change and reflection in gardening, I never would have started. Oh.
0: You know?
1: <laughs> Why even look in that mirror?
0: So let me ask you this, to jump back to the specifics yeah. of composting, even though you just finished saying that you, you you're not as mechanistic anymore. I'd like to mm. ask you about your techniques. Do you prefer cold composting over active batch thermal composting or do you use something in between? And I know we talked about your, your will not pile is definitely cold and that's why it comes out so beautifully, but time is of the essence. So what do you prefer? What are your thoughts?
1: It's something for everything. I have about three or four different systems going. My, my favorite is chop and drop. It's sheet composting. I remember In the mid-80s, I had a business in in Los Angeles called Edible Landscapes, Mm -hmm. and I met Bill Mollison around that time, and I was so proud to tell him that for every one of my clients, I insisted that they had a compost bin, because I was the compost evangelist. I was was getting them involved. And he looked at me kind (laughs) of like half-cocked head, and is like, why not, why not just the sheet compost. Why well, pile it up in the corner, let the nitrogen volatize and all the nutrients leach into the corner where you're not trying to grow anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, and it was like one of those humbling moments. I was trying to impress my hero and he was just basically saying, eh, take another look, dummy. <laughs> and, and I was like, mm, hmm, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And so I have, uh, let's say, a, a, a vegetation reduction system where if I have big piles of greens and browns I'll I'll put them down near my compost zone and I'll use them as mixing ingredients a lot of times those piles will just go off and turn into compost before I even get them into mixing my buddy David white up in Ohio runs a service where he's making compost tea for uh, prof- professional gardeners and landscapers we, we were looking to do another location for a gardener pickup down here in Ventura, and I was asking him about <clears throat> some suggested equipment, and he refocused it. He said, the number one ingredient in compost tea is rich compost, mm-hmm. and you have to start that in just the, the right way and have it finished in a good way so it's the richest compost. Now, personally, I have trouble with microscopy. It's tough to tell if that's a fungal strand or my eyelash, so I, I look. <laughs> It's hard, uh, so I look to my friends and experts to do that. In fact, we're we're trying to create a, a larger commercial group that we'd like to call the Ventura County Organic Producers Association or Compost Association, and have like a compost cup where biological diversity and analysis under a scope would be part of the category. So as well as the more obvious things like. You know, crumb structure yeah. and friability and and smell. That's that's my big thing is the smell. You know, I like to use my body as an instrument. If you, if I grab it and I smell it and I smell that sweetness and it just you, you know that scene in Ratatouille where the critic is eating and yes, kind of
0: and he just boom back backs in time. Yes, time yes 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 yes
1: yeah. he goes same, back in time. Same with me, and, and I smell all the seasons of my youth. And in that, in that few seconds, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the shiz. Yep. Can we
0: can we say that on the air? I think we can um, anyway. because nobody's nobody's uh, yeah. uh doing anything yeah. to stop yeah. me. So yeah, Hopefully it's true. Hopefully, we get letters. Yeah. And yeah. well, the the so. thing is the the that smell. Most people don't know how to look for that 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 earthy. Second smell is the part you know because everyone's like oh compost is stinky not if you do it right
1: yeah totally not if, and although uh there are all kinds of levels of compost i remember uh, one of my clients out in moore park is peach hill soils and we had a bunch of uh, composters from around the area from small scale and the large scale the the nearby apricot lane farms mm-hmm. uh folks were were coming by and one of the experts looked at the compost, and it wasn't really anything to write home about, honestly. We're working on that. It was a lot of mulch Mm finds that had decomposed, right? So it wasn't a lot of biology. It really didn't have good trunk structure. Anyway, I picked it up, and I said, here, check it out. He looked at it. He he dropped it from his hand in horror, and he proceeded to berate us for about five minutes on the nerve and temerity we had in calling that compost (laughs) and how could we— and we looked at each other with wide eyes. We're like, wow, we knew it wasn't that good, but <laughs> didn't expect to be scolded. But I, I loved it because it showed what a connoisseur reaction is. And, and our goal, you know, commercially, I'm saying our goal is to create something that's almost as good. Oh, can I give it a tip now? No, I'm going to just keep throwing them out there. Okay. I found one of the ways that I've been able to bump up the biological quality of potting soils and, and commercial compost that aren't so good is just to, to pile them up in the yard, add some inoculant, add some finished compost or even soil and cover it and keep it moist, turn it a few times, finish its composting process in the yard, and then when you add that to other raw potting mixes, it really Enlivens it and makes it much more like a, a healthy living soil rather than something that's just been baking in a bag on a pallet in, and yeah. in, in, you know in a big box.
0: Yeah, and that's a that's a thing from Grow Bio Intensive. Uh, John Jevons says, you know, one of the missing ingredients, like you said, is patience. For him, it's soil. Where you throw in some finished compost or soil, and that inoculates the pile. Really important. Can you walk us through your process of building a new pile?
1: Sure. In fact. Uh, I'm a Jevonsian, you know, John Jevons, uh, How to Grow More Vegetables in Less Space Than You Ever Thought Possible, was one of the syllabus in the course I took that made me a regular composter. Ah. It was a kind of a, it was a super group of syllabi. It was The Unsettling of America, the Permaculture Introduction, uh, one, the Fukuoka book. um,
0: That was One Straw Revolution. One yes.
1: straw revolution, right? Yes. And 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 his follow up, uh, which wasn't out then, but the power of duck, right? And in oh. the notion of do nothing gardening, uh, that yes. that often we were getting in the way of things, and at best we could do is orchestrate the natural flows, which is so permaculture. Mm-hmm. But the highest permaculture accolade in a design is no moving parts, including the human. If we can create a system that works in synergy with all its natural tendencies, with the available natural flows, boom. That's the most elegant and beautiful design you know I can imagine. Yeah. And the world works like that in, in, to the most part, except where we kind of mess it up. In fact, <laughs> it, it, In fact, it's so counterintuitive. Doing things is often figuring out how little to do. You know, for so as an eco slacker who thought work was pollution from the get go, it kind of it kind of spoke to me. But when trying to say it, it's like, well, I want to do something, I got to dig something, I got to move something. It's like, yeah, maybe you don't. <laughs> you know, the aphorism right. about about looking to make the greatest change with the least effort. You mm-hmm. know, I, I would call that the least the least amount of digging, the least amount of disturbance, the least amount of destruction. You know, of other ecosystems all around and right. all the microsystems. Anyway, we were talking about your process <laughs> composting. <laughs> yeah, like I say, I have I have a number of systems from the more calculated, like I'm like I'm producing a high quality worm compost for uh, making tea, or I'm just creating soil for incorporating into the garden beds or around the, the trees. And so the easiest systems are just laying things in a pile, in a heap, you know, old style, before we invented plastic bins. When I was in uh, the city of Ventura and we were trying to figure out how to get people to compost, I figured that I would just teach them the way I do, just pile it up in the back, hope it doesn't get too wide and, and messy, and would just go for it. And uh, <clears throat> a fellow, John Rulak, came around with Harmonious Technologies mm-hmm. and he was barnstorming North America selling uh, compost bins along with his book, uh, Backyard Composting. Also a, a good guy. And I, I wanted to throw him out of the office. I'm like, the last thing I want to do is buy hundreds of thousands of Darth Vader helmets to put in <laughs> people's backyards. Until I, I came around to understanding. If it's going to go urban and suburban, mm-hmm. and it's going to be the anti-trash container, mm-hmm. it's got to be in a form that's going to contain and make it manageable. We talked about reducing the ick factor to the person who isn't really comfortable having that relationship yes. with uh, the environment to that degree yet. and And to a large degree, that continues to be a, a very difficult frontier to cross because yeah. in a flush and forget it society. You know, when when you ask, I love to ask this question. If somebody said, well, yeah, I had this or that and uh, I threw it away. I go, well, where's away? Where? Yeah. Right. And and they go, well, I, I put it in a couple plastic bags and, and I go, and <laughs> and I put it in the trash and I go, so it's like by the side of your house, decomposing for the next week or so until, and so, like, well, yeah, but I threw it away. I go, hmm It's interesting people's notion of away, and and for for me, away is onto a place that is gonna blend. You know, I, one of the things I like about the whole cob building ethos, yeah, is when the building is over, what's what remains when it's no longer in needed, in needed or in use in a few hundred years, are there just charge jarring out is there plastic on the ground is there metal skeletons and and wire no it's just a it's just a pile of dirt Mm -hmm. that once was and so having that elegant system i try to challenge myself for every material on the property that i want to get rid of what do i really need to do so like for bigger logs i'll dig them in for berm or or slope control for for twigs I'll use it as permanent uh, uh, mulch under under the, the side plantings or out of the way, and so progressively each thing has its own place. And the softer, fast to decompose materials will go in more of, of the standard composting area, and that's the stuff I'll use for um, uh, for potting soils or for compost teas.
0: So you have your different processes, some of which you just dig into soil, some of which you put in containers or a, or a pallet setup like you've described. Do you have any favorite ingredients that you like to include in your piles to make them extra special?
1: Well, you know, <clears throat> the the classic is leaves and grass, I mm-hmm. suppose. I have a big avocado tree and it drops leaves all around including my neighbors and I have a deal with my neighbors, if they rake it up, I haul it off.
0: Oh, nice. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> and and I feel like such a bandit. I mean, it's like, you <laughs> guys, I love this stuff.
0: Yeah, it's and free carbon. I have,
1: <laughs> I have another neighbor who, <clears throat> despite many conversations, still insists on a sod lawn, uh-huh. watering, cutting, and I gave him a compost bin. You know, I set him up with a garden and still every other week he gives me a giant pile of golf course quality cut grass and I'm like I feel like I'm taking money from you (laughs) it's like you your garden is dry put it on top of your garden and he just kind of shrugs and says hey if you want it there it is I'm like yeah I want it I'll spread it out most of the, the grass clipping never makes it through a compost pile. Do
0: you spread and it under, under a tree or around garden beds? Every, what do you do? Everything, everything.
1: You know, my goal is to not have any bare soil. It's, it's, right. it's hard. It's super hard to do. But especially around new plantings and in productive seasonal um, vegetables, oh, my God, it's the difference between another month or two of season and probably twice as much productivity and sometimes as important one half to one third the amount of water needs and so it's it's amazing how obvious mulch is and yeah. how underutilized it is and yeah. I mean if I was going to emphasize one practice that'll up a garden health and resilience immediately is mulch and yeah. that's what and that's what I love uh, dry grass for its so fluffy. It doesn't match. And when it decomposes, it just, it just makes the soil richer.
0: So, I see. Big, so big, you're, fan. you're drying down the grass in the sun. That's what it, my question was, because a lot, you know, for people who just put their grass clippings in the compost pile, you have to mix it with something carbon uh, so that it doesn't, get, you know, it'll form a thick, slimy layer if you don't blend it with something else, if it's freshly cut, because it's the bacterial yeah. glues that start to go to work. The bacteria start breaking it down, it just gets super slimy. So usually you mix it with dried leaves or something, but you're drying it down first. That's a good tip. I like that.
1: Every Yeah, oh, bang, a tip. Um, and, and using a fork or a rake and... and it's kind of like how produce is dried all over the world whether it's coffee beans you know or some some other thing to dry in the sun it, you just kind of rake it thin and in a hot day you do it a few times and it's pretty dry and if you have something like a patio or a driveway it's even like a solar oven right. and that'll that'll cook it so quickly and in a pinch You just kind of do it in a less critical area, like a pathway next to your target bed. And then as soon as it starts to kind of look golden, you take handfuls of it and you just flake it around.
0: And it really works nicely. Nice. Well, that felt like a tip, but I'm going to ask you because it's tip time. (laughs) Do you have a favorite tip? (laughs) Do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the garden nerd audience? Yes, I do. Do
1: something that is surprising. Pick a plant that you don't know and put it in some place you're not going to get too much trouble for. Maybe look to see if it's... Like, don't don't put Matilla hot poppies in, in a small area.
0: <laughs> yeah. Those get big, everyone. Matilla hot poppies get really big. <laughs> never plant morning glory, ever. Ever, <laughs> ever. Uh,
1: but other than that, I mean, that I found so many new things that I never... I, I you know I'll have a list or I, I think I know what I'm going to get, but walking through, like one of my favorite nurseries is Green Thumb here in Ventura, mm-hmm. and I'll know I'll go up and down the annuals and the vegetables, but then if I take a little detour and walk through the Mediterranean climate or the low water or some of the subtropicals, I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and 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 it's a really it's a it's a it's one of the main ways that I've expanded my understanding of plants is by going off my to get list, and and that's always it's always been rewarding. Also, it's it's a way you know the other side of it is I know that I have a frost river coming down my hill. I will kill whatever mango is in the way. I have done that a number of times, (laughs) and so now I'm very attuned to microclimate. And understanding where that frost river is. I mean that was a hard way to learn, but yeah. That's what that's what experimentation is about.
0: Yeah, and that's so much of gardening is experimentation. And you said that early on, that patience and experimentation are really key components that every gardener should develop.
1: Oh, that when you put it that way, that sounds pretty good. Well you can use yeah. that in
0: your talks.
1: <laughs> yeah. right, <laughs> you. I, I, every, everyone needs an editor, right? Right. Everyone. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your expert tips, Eric, and for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast.
1: My pleasure. I look forward to possibly doing more, and thanks for all the work that you do in, in sharing our love of gardening. Of thank course. You.
0: Now, how do people find you? I am
1: um, on a number of channels uh, on Instagram as Ewerbo, E-W-E-R-B-O, or under my name, Eric Wobolowski, and also the same on Facebook. I, I run about 8,000 pages, including uh, Ventucky Chicken to support chicken culture in Ventura. And, What's that um, called? Ben,
0: Ventucky. Ventucky. Oh, right, Ventucky. Ventucky. Right, Ventura.
1: Ventucky chicken. Yeah, Ventura. yeah, I got it. And then um, a number of us, Uh, A few years ago, we are trying to do an experiment where if we got the critical mass of people gardening in a neighborhood, that it would catch fire and kind of be a transition town culture shift, and we call that Ventura Growing Circles, and we did a few years of exhibits at the Ventura County Fair. It was fun. It was a lot of work, and it's still mason. But, uh, you know, a few more emergencies and heads up on where food comes from. And I think more people will be paying more attention to that. Yeah. Along with, you know, urban food forests and the like. So, who knows? That could be heating up.
0: That is our hope. Because this, it feels really good to grow your own food. And I think we all just want everyone else to experience that. So, yay. All right, Garden Nerds. You'll find a link to Eric's social media feeds at GardenNerd.com this week. We'll also share Eric's 40-minute composting video with plenty of helpful guidance to making better compost. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!